Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Kisisa, the first Aliyah Rishon. Our parsha as a whole is 139 psukim, and we're going to see that the concentration of the vast majority of those psukim are in the first two Aliyahs. Our first Aliyah is 45 psukim, long running from Perik Lamed Pasuk Yudzayin to Perik Lamed Aleph Pasuk Yudzayin. There are quite a number of topics in our Aliyah. We'll try to get a sense of each of them and some basic points to ponder on each. Let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, we were told, When you are going to count the nation of Israel, the way it is done is through a koifer navshoy, on an atonement of each one's soul, and there will not be a plague. How do they do this? They would Each person will give machatzis ha-shekel, b'shekel ha-kodesh, half of a shekel in the holy shekel, and we're told the specific amounts. The rich are not going to increase, the poor are not going to decrease. Everybody gives this, and this is going to be a zikaron to be an atonement to atone on their souls. That's se- section one, is counting through the machzis shekel. Section two, we hear about the creation of the kior nechoshes, the copper wash basin. It's placed between the altamizbech and the mishkan, and it is used there for the kohanim to wash their hands and their feet. That's section two. Section 3, we hear about the creation of Shemen Mishchas Chodesh, the anointing oil. We hear about the ingredients that go into all the details of making this oil, the different spices that go into this oil, how they are prepared, and how they are used. This oil is used to anoint all of the kalim in the base of Migdash, in the Mishkan. The oil moed, Aaron Eidos, Shulchan, all the different kalim are done, and this is going to be le doi roi seichem, it's going to be for generations to anoint the kohanim as, go- as well. There's also a prohibition about making this exact concoction ever again outside of this instance. Um, then we hear about the next section, so we're now up to section 4 in Aralia. The section 4 is the creation of the ketores, the spices. We hear about the very specific spices and their measures to create the spices which are used and again a prohibition not to make it outside the confines of the Mishkan. We then have the fifth section of our Aliyah, which talks about the induction of two architects for the Mishkan. Their names are Betzalel ben Uri, ben Chur from the tribe of Yehuda, and Ahaliyov ben Achisamach from the tribe of Dan. These two individuals are people who Hashem gives wisdom in their heart to make, to do the necessary artisan, artisan um, Ship on the Mishkan in order to create the Mishkan. And finally, the sixth and last Aliyah of our, the section of our Aliyah is about the command to keep Shabbos. We hear we are supposed to Shabbosaitishmoiru, you're supposed to keep the Shabbos because it is an ois, it is a sign. And we hear about the famous paragraph which we say on Shabbos a number of times, the Shamru B'nai Yisrael, Esa Shabbos, La Esa Shabbos, Dorasam, Bris Olam. This is going to be the eternal covenant between Israel and Hashem. So six sections, quick recap, and then some points to ponder. First, we hear about the census through the Machsis HaShekel. Then we hear about the wash, base, the wash basin, the Kior. The, the next section, we hear about the Shemen Mishchas Kodesh, the anointing oil. Then we hear about the Ketores, the incense. Then we hear about the two architects, Betzalel and Ariyav. And finally, the, the command to keep Shabbos. Those are our six sections. A few basic points to ponder. The first is, is this notion of using the Shekel to count. Fascinating observation the Ramban makes is that this is a watershed moment in many ways. Think about this for a moment. This is one of the expressions of freedom. Because ultimately, 
the nation of Israel were not using the currency they took out of Egypt. They minted their own coins right now. This is a demonstration of their own nationhood. Moshe acting as the king. This is a very important note to have a new currency as a nation. But it wasn't just any currency. As the Rabbi explains, it is Shekel HaKodesh. He announced it as holy currency as well. This goes back to the interesting debate that is had between the Ramban and the Rambam, Nachmanides and Maimonides, as to whether there is a notion of Lashon HaKodesh. Why is Hebrew called the Lashon HaKodesh, the holy language? The Rambam understands that inherently it's holy because it has no words for, the, um, for disgusting things, for disgraceful act, uh, acts uh, or, or uh, parts of the body or intimacy. There are, those, there are not direct words for it in the language, which is why it is inherently a holy language. Ramban explains that that's not the case. It is about the way it is used. It is used in a holy way. It is used to convey the words of prophecy and therefore it becomes holy as a function. The same thing over here is the because of the designation of this coin, it becomes Shekel HaKodesh, the holy coin. You notice something very interesting over here. My friend Rabbi Menachem Rosenbaum points out that you see that Moshe Rabbeinu mints a new coin which is going to be holy as a function of using half of it. Meaning, Moshe Rabbeinu creates a new currency, but he doesn't create the currency as being holy as to what it's used for, but rather half of each of those units of currency is what makes it holy. So why didn't he just call the Chatsi Shekel Kadesh then, or make it that the Shekel is used for the counting? Very strange. Um, the answer is, is because inherently this is the equalizer. This is the way in which all of society works together towards a common goal. They are sheer and the dull. The, the poor and the, and the rich are not going to be counted higher, lower. Everybody's part of the same. And that's why the holiness, in fact, is found in the fact that it's in halves. Another interesting point is why are they counting here? So Rashi points out there actually are three types of donations. There's the Truma Sa'adanim which is the donations to the copper sockets, which are going to be the basis of the beams holding up the entire perimeter of the Mishkan. Or there is the Truma Samizbech, which is also the money used by the, the shekels to create the to as the fund for the annual Korbanos, which is done for every year. And then there's the Truma Samizbech, the donations for people gave of all kinds of things to the Mishkan itself without an upper cap as well. So Rashi points out there are three Trumas noted in the three words Truma in our parasha. Now, why does lead, counting lead to a negev, to a plague? Rashi says because counting brings about the ayin hara, the evil eye, which will therefore have a terrible effect on the people. And therefore what we do is we don't count people, we count coins instead. Now, Barbanel in Dira Yamim actually makes a note that this is not entirely accurate. There are Barbanel says that, in fact, you see many times in the Torah where people are counted, there's no problem. The problem, the problem actually only occurs, says Barbanel, when the counting is not done for the purpose of a mitzvah, rather for vanity or just for the sake of a census, with no, no, no specific spiritual elevation, elevated purpose. The reason why it is all right over here is not because we're counting the coins, says Barbanel, but rather because counting the people is for the sake of donating to the Mishkan. Therefore, anytime there's a census which is done for the sake of a mitzvah, a command of Hashem, for some specific holy spiritual purpose, there's no problem of Ein Hara. Therefore, it's not about what you're counting, whether you're counting the coins of the people, it's about what the purpose of the counting is. That's the Abhabhidnal's understanding. We move on to the next section. What was the purpose and function of the of the Kiyos? We turn to a very beautiful and Kabbalistic period of the Torah called the Rikanti. Um, and he says in the in paragraph Dalid, a very beautiful thing. If it says, first of all, of course, it's to, you know, a parable of cleaning yourself before entering the throne room of the king. You're going to serve in front of the Melech Malchei Hamlachim, the king of all kings. You have to be clean. 
Um, but the, uh, the he says also spiritually speaking, it actually washes off the impurity um, on a daily basis. The person, uh, it, when their spirit, when their soul, parts of their soul, um, leave them when they are sleeping. And only the most basic level of of soul um, it remains in the body while sleep. There is a certain level of tumor that re that leaves that rests on the body in the absence of the spirituality, and that needs to be washed off. Where is that tumor found? So he says, if a human being stretches up high, they have ten fingers at the top, ten and ten toes at the bottom, and the body, the so to speak the component, the, the holder or the controller of the, of the neshama, the platform of the neshama is, um, is in the center. And the tumor rests on the extrema, which is why it's on the ten fingers, on the ten toes. That is where you, uh, it is necessary to be able to wash it, wash it away. Um, he, says, he, he says, in fact, that um, the remez le'eser sefiros shiye kol gufoy kolul ben time. The body is held in between these ten at the top and ten at the bottom, and they are the what is, needs to be cleansed. Um, when acting in the basement of so in the basement dash. Why is the Kiyarhya? Shouldn't it belong in the parasha of Trumo, at the very least, Tetzaveh, which talk about the creation of the Mishkan? So the Bechor Shor and most of the Forshim explain that the Kiyor was actually not a clay Kodesh in and of itself. It was really a Hechsher. Um, it was a... Um, um, a, a, a vessel which was used in order to facilitate the avoider, but not the avoider itself. In order to be able to do the service in the temple, one needed to be clean and pure, and therefore facilitated that, but it itself was not um, it was not a clay sharis in the same way as, let's say, the menorah or the shulchan, as an example. Now, what, what, what do we know about the Shem and HaMishcha, yeah, this, this anointing oil? Why was it Ledoi Roiseichem for all generations? Lorachem HaKadosh quotes the Gemara, which famously says in Christos, also appears in Horios, that in fact they never had to ever make another amount of Shem and Mishcha. There were, others, there were other types of oils, the Shem and Afarisamon, which was a sort of pseudo-oil used at certain times in history, debated among the Mepharshim. But um, the Shem and HaMishcha, this oil was only made once, and it was used sparingly in such a way. Now, you'd say, well, if there's so many kings and there's so many Kohanim, the answer is actually, it was not, it was not necessary to have a re-anointing unless there was a matter of dispute where, let's say, the kingship was under dispute. Then Shem and HaMishcha was brought out again. But otherwise, it was not used, and therefore it was something which ultimately lasted and is still today in hiding. Um, what is the guitarist and why is it here? What is this? What is this? The the, the is this incense for? Um, so the Baratnur in his commentary on the Torah explains that in fact there are eleven spices, although not all of those eleven spices are. Um, um, are listed over here, and together they make up the ingredients necessary to be brought on the golden mizbeach. This actually relates to a very fascinating point, and that is the, the fact that the golden mizbeach is brought at the very end of the whole um, episode of, described, of creating of the Mishkan. So as opposed to, let's say, the Lechem Aponim, or the lighting of the Nora, which were described, in the, in the different Kalim, which were described, the necessary avoda by the Kalim themselves, when it comes to the Mizbeach Azov, which is at the end, we now have all the ingredients for what's used on it later on at the end. I heard a very beautiful uh, suggestion in the name of Rabbi Honigwax, who says that just like the Malbim's idea that the whole Mishkan is a representation, a reflection of the human body, the last thing in the creation was, in fact, in the human body as well, is the nose, the last organ developed. Um, and the nose is refer re referencing the Mizbeach Azahov, which is why the Katoris as well comes so uh, late in the process as well. Now the question is, why do Abitzalel and Achisamach mentioned over here? The Rav Hirsch says, well, very simply, because now we have the instructions to make the Mishkan, so let's make it. How do we make it? We need the implementation, we need the architects. The Ramban points out that it's impossible to imagine that you had any artisans over here who had any sense of aesthetic um, appreciation. These were slaves. These were people who were um, pushing bricks up mountains all of their life without a space for any creativity or reflection. How did they possibly have, were they able to produce people who, within 
a few short weeks were able to be able to be architects of such of the finest of levels. And the Ramban says, because as you see in the Pesukim, Baruch Hu says, I fill them, I fill them with the Spirit of God. The reason they are creative is because of me. And you're going to see the expression of me through their hands, because they as human beings did not have the capacity to create this as well. So with all noting the Gomorrah and Barachos, Daf Nun Hei Amun Arab tells us that in addition to this, it's also um, um, that, that, that in fact they were able to do mitziruf oisias, which means combining the different letters. Uh, just on, understood in a very basic way is once once humanity were finally able to to label and categorize the different ele- basic elements of creation and create the, ca- the, the chemical table, uh, the periodic table of chemical elements, and to be able to differentiate each of the each of the, the the different elements, which took a very long time for human beings to get to. 1800s started happening, and really really coalesced towards the 1900s. Um, if one takes any basic element, so if one takes hydrogen and combines it with oxygen, one creates a new element called water, H2O. If one takes a sulfur and combines it um, with with, uh, with hydrogen and oxygen, one gets H2SO4, one gets sulfuric acid. So if one's able to take the basic elements, one can create much more sophisticated elements. That's what's being said on a chemical, the chemical, a chemical idea is really actually the metaphor for the metaphysical idea. If a person can understand the 22 building blocks of creation, which are the metaphysical underpinnings of creation, which are the Hebrew letters, and one understands how to combine those powers, those forces in creation, one can create very impressive metaphysical structures with, on which the Mishkan is built, and that's what's being described over here in the Gemara. Finally, why Shabbos reiterated here at the end of the building of the Mishkan? So Rav Hirsch says, because it's to show us the Melechah Mishkan, when you're building the Mishkan, that waits on Shabbos. Shabbos supersedes the building of the Mishkan, although the Avoida in the Mishkan um, does go on on Shabbos. We'll have to think about that. Um, but um, that's why it is mentioned over, over here. We'll spend a little bit more time thinking about that when we get to the beginning of Parshas Vayakel. But in the meantime, you'll notice something interesting, and that is that the word shom, Shamar to God is mentioned three times in this parasha, in this very short area. This is the first time this word is introduced by Shabbos. Before Nasser Sederos, we had Zachor, remember, which is the positive parts of Shabbos. Shamor is the negative parts, guarding Shabbos. It is interesting that Oiv Yisrael, the Abtarov, has a very beautiful observation. He says, what does it mean to be Shomer Shabbos? We call that to people, Shomer Shabbos. What does that mean? So he says that this comes from, obviously, this section of the Torah, right here at the end of the first Aliyah in Parshas Kisiza. Um, what does that mean? So it doesn't mean you, you keep Shabbos in terms of just keeping the halachas. That, that's obvious. that You wouldn't be a Shabbos without that. He says it comes from, the, actually, if you look in the beginning of Pasha's Vayeshev, at the end of the first aliyah there, where Yaakov Avinu, um, hears the dreams of his son, and it says, Rashi explains what does it mean his father guarded the matter. It says, he was waiting and anticipating eagerly as to when those would come to fruition. Shamar means to say the anticipation and the belief in something coming to be. Uh, Shemira Shabbos also is not just about guarding Shabbos, but it's also about the attitude towards Shabbos. How do we experience error Shabbos? How do we get towards Shabbos? Are we anticipating it all week long? Is it the ref- is it in fact the flagpost of our entire existence and six rest of the days, or is it a burden upon us? That is Shemira Shabbos as well. And finally, we just conclude with the fact that the Torah seems to emphasize a lot over here that Shabbos is a, an ois, is a sign, is a covenant. Why is that? Because Shabbos is the only time cycle event which is not based on uh, a um, or reflecting some sort of orbit or ellipse or or um, 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 
the celestial event. It is not a day which in which the earth turns on its axis. It is not a month which uh, is the revolution of the, the 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 moon around the earth. It is not a year, a solar year, which is the the, the earth's orbit around the sun. The Shabbos is a seven-day cycle with no explicable uh, explanation. And yet, from the time of creation until now, although many nations have tried to change it, seven days remains the week. And that is the sign, the everlasting sign between Hashem and humanity and creation that He has He did create the world, which we still commemorate even today in all societies. With this, we conclude the first Aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful.